Today's episode of CougarCast is brought to you by CareerWise. That's CareerWise. Wise with a Z. It's a place where you can get effective learning. CareerWise is an online education program that helps teach people the career field of medical coding. So when you go into the doctor, there's two things that primarily happen. The first thing is, is that you get a diagnosis. When you go to the doctor, they say, this is what's wrong with you. The second part of that visit is a procedure. How we're going to fix the diagnosis. Okay, so medical coding is the process whereby codes are assigned to identify exactly what went on at the doctor's appointment. So there's a procedure code that's given for the procedure and there's a diagnosis code that's given for the diagnosis. And these codes become very specific. In fact, there's a code for somebody who has water skis that are on fire and that's how they were hurt. So they are going to accurately depict uh, what exactly went wrong. And honestly, if you've got water skis that are on fire, something crazy must have happened. Like the 2017 BYU football season, something crazy must have happened. If you're interested in learning about this career field, go check out careerwise.com. They have a special deal going on right now for $500 off one of their two courses, which is based in the inpatient or outpatient career fields of medical coding. You can also get in touch with them by calling them at 888-WISE-CALL. That's 888-949-3225. Or go to careerwise.com. And again, that's careerwise, wise with a Z. And now for the season premiere of CougarCast. Greetings, my name is Keith Schertz, and this is CougarCast as the BYU football team prepares to play the University of Arizona this weekend. I wanted to take a moment to just take a look at some of the big picture macro issues and just a couple of my like crazy hot takey ideas that have been floating in my little crazy brain all summer long. It feels nice to be talking once again with you, I hope all of you are doing very well. We are going to go forward with the show, by the way, if you've been listening. We're going forward with the show with just me. This year, we're going to have uh, spot visits with different people, and maybe we'll uh, get a couple check-ins with Tosh as the year goes on. Um, but the main thing that I wanted to talk about today in this return podcast is I want to talk about the need for BYU to shake things up. Look, BYU has a few problems with their football program, specifically since they've gone independent. Being independent was pitched as this game changer, this huge shift and fix for BYU football. I think as we've experienced it since 2011 is when it was announced, basically... What we have found is that eh, it's not so much of this major shift other than we play without a conference to play for 
and we make a little bit more money and we have the ability to be on ESPN and our own in our own networks. Those are all really, really big things. But in terms of the position that BYU held within the sport of college football at large, it didn't shift things that much. So it's been good internally, but it hasn't necessarily done much to change our spot in the world, you know, of college football within that landscape. And I wanted to just speak about the sport of college football just in general and the fact that it's, uh, the college football is rigged. You can ask the University of Central Florida whether the game is rigged or not. You remember in Ocean's Eleven, Danny Ocean, he goes and meets with uh, Rusty Ryan. That's uh, played by Brad Pitt and, and uh, of course, uh, George Clooney. He meets and uh, Clooney... Clooney's character, at least, gives a a speech about how the house always wins. That's kind of how I feel about college football. Because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech. A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. That was good. I liked it. You see that speech by Danny Ocean? It's right. If you bet big when you have the perfect hand, you can beat the house. The problem is, is that doesn't help out UCF. They did bet big. They went undefeated. They certainly looked like one of the best teams in the country last year. And still, they lost. Because the house always wins. There is not a scenario where the house is toppled over in college football, at least in the modern era. See, UCF wasn't included in the playoff. And that's the same thing. It goes for BYU. They're on the wrong side of the rigged NCAA football game. See, they aren't the house. BYU's the guy in Vegas with $50 in his pocket. And that almost never works out for that guy. But it did once. In 1984, the little guy did beat the house. The one and only time that it's ever happened in modern college football. And by modern, we're talking about 1984. We're closing in on 35 years on that beauty. And not only that, BYU did it while also being a clean program. BYU has the distinction, as you well know of being the only national championship winning program without any major NCAA violations. And in the sport of college football, aside from BYU, one thing is painfully clear. Champions cheat. So if it isn't already hard enough to overcome the institutionally rigged system that college football is, You should also keep in mind that the teams, the the Cougars will play, who they're challenging to compete for a national championship with, they're likely going against a program that is more than likely cheating. Or at the very least, they cheated in order to get their program to where it is. And it gets worse. Let's talk about the money. 
The financial structure of college football is weighted to significantly benefit big conferences. In fact, the financial structure of the NCAA is probably more unjust than the competitive structure. At least to compete in the college football playoff, a team has to be good at football. Terrible programs in Power 5 conferences make more money than great programs outside of Power 5 club. The point is, BYU has the sport of college football working against them in the following ways. The structure of the sport only respects half the teams that compete in it as truly legitimate. The legitimized teams cheat, and all of the big money earned through amateurism is funneled to the cheating, legitimized teams. So, when all of these rigged elements are considered, I believe it is fair to ask a simple question. Why does BYU invest so heavily in a sport that is fixed? It has weighted dynamics to it with fixed outcomes. Why does BYU play college football? Seriously. It's a rigged game and they're on the outside looking in. Fortunately, actually, we do know the answer. You know, for most other institutions, it's about money and branding, which is important to drive more money. You know, get that brand out there. It gets more people coming to the school. You got more kids who want to go to those schools because what a great football team they have. They get more money invested into it and donated to it. That's what other schools do. And yes, they play for glory, sure. At BYU, the mission statement was made very clear when they declared football independence. It's exposure. The point of BYU football is exposure. Positive exposure for the LDS church. That's it. Over all else. The potential for money and a championship are perquisites of participation. It's a nice perk. Yeah, we're getting exposure. And hey, we made a bunch of money for it. And hey, we won a championship. This is great. But the point of having athletics at Brigham Young University is to provide exposure for the LDS Church. Now, a quick aside. In theory, the reason for any school to have a football team is to provide opportunities for young, athletically gifted men to get into education and to have an education. And, you know, while this does occur to varying degrees across the college athletic spectrum, but let's not check the class schedules for football players at the University of North Carolina. The NCAA and its member institutions are all driven by a separate desire. It's not about education. It's not educational opportunities for young, athletically gifted men who are willing to play football. For them, as we've talked about, it's money, branding, and exposure for their school and what their school stands for. 
So I understand that this is part of the ruse of college sports in general, that the competition isn't about money, but it's about school pride shown by, quote, student athletes, end of quote. But can't we ignore that distract for just a second and focus on the reality? The reality is, is that the great state of Utah put aside taxpayer funds to help Utah State in their recruiting efforts. It was only a couple of years ago that that happened. It was to get better players on the Aggies football team. The state of Utah put aside taxpayer funds to make more good football players go to Logan to play football. The idea here was that by having a better football team, it would equal more money flowing into Cache Valley in general and to Utah State as, a, as an institution. See, even local state government gets that football, as, football at educational institutions isn't about education. It's about driving money. Like, taxpayer funds weren't put towards Utah State football because we were like, hey, let's get more kids in education. <laughs> it was absolutely to help drive money. And at BYU and their spotless NCAA violation heritage, it doesn't, we don't even pretend at BYU that the reason for an educational institution to have a football team is to provide opportunities for young men to gain an education. Nope. At BYU, it is for exposure. And they've made that clear. They've said so. When we determined to go independent in football more than six years ago, we stated two reasons. One, exposure for our student athletes and the school. And two, access for our fans. That was the voice of Tom Holmo, the athletic director at Brigham Young University. All right, so it's all about exposure. It's top of the priority list. It's why the Cougars are playing football. It's why we win independent. It is the goal. So in the interest of increasing exposure around the BYU football program, allow me to offer a bold, audacious idea. Something that would truly and radically shake things up. BYU should become the first NCAA program to blatantly and unabashedly pay their college football players. First, it's the right thing to do. BYU would be largely applauded for their leadership in ending the exploitative era of college football and beginning the process of a proper, equitable value exchange between players and their institutions. No FBI scandals needed, no bagmen or bribes. Quite simply, if you come to play at BYU, you get X amount of dollars. Second, BYU is the perfect team to do this sort of thing. It would be so jarring given their reputation and having the distinction as the only non-cheating national championship program. When BYU has given up on following the rules, what does that say about the governing body and its management of the sport of college football? I mean, honestly, under their watch, they've legitimized half the teams that compete in Division I college football. If you're not in a Power 5 conference, you have no stake in this thing competitively.
Secondly, you know, as I've outlined before, you can be terrible, have a terrible football program and make a lot of money. And the NCAA has overseen all of that. So let's say they decide to pay their players. Certainly the NCAA comes after the Cougars. Every violation that the NCAA would levy against the Cougars would result in a ton of positive publicity as the majority of media would lambaste the NCAA for its collection of millions upon millions, even billions of dollars, while being upset that college kids are making thousands. And beyond that, what is the NCAA really going to do that would truly hurt BYU? Take away scholarships? Okay. We're paying players. Erase games from the official record book? Oh, okay. Big whoop. What about disqualifying BYU from a bowl game? Yeah, so look, BYU won't be selected for the college football playoff anyway, even if they have a perfect season over a good schedule. Just ask Central Florida. And furthermore, would anyone really miss playing the fifth place team from the ACC in Albuquerque a few days before Christmas? <laughs> I mean, quick, close your eyes. Picture what that Poinsettia Bowl look, trophy looks like. I, I have no idea. So certainly it's got Poinsettias on it. I have no idea what it looks like. There isn't real pride in winning a bowl game. It's better to win than lose, sure. But, you know, those trophies, you don't know what they look like. We can't picture it in our heads. It's not that important. And let's not bring up bowl game money either. Remember, it isn't about money for BYU. BYU plays for exposure. And so I guess the loss of playing in the New Mexico Bowl does hurt exposure, but I would argue you're going to get more positive exposure from paying players. Okay, so what if the NCAA decides a program death penalty? Well, when balanced against the other violations, crimes, and atrocities that have been tolerated at other institutions... The NCAA couldn't possibly kick out BYU for paying kids for their talents to play football, could they? I mean, if they did, they would have to deal with hundreds of countless talking heads, tweets and articles, wondering that if in the NCAA's mind, it would have been more unacceptable for Jerry Sandusky to pay a player or if the NCAA would have been more troubled by Louisville paying its players than it was for their paying for prostitutes for their players. Like, when you think about all that's gone on at Ohio State and Maryland recently, you just can't possibly imagine that they'd be willing to put their foot down on this matter when they've punted on all those other matters. It would be a public relations disaster for the NCAA. Meanwhile, the Cougars could simply take a stand in the name of doing what's best for the players. And that's what it's about. Are we really doing this for players? Are we trying to give them a great experience? Let's do what's best for them.
The celebrated history of BYU Cougar football is built upon the idea of innovation. Lavelle Edwards changed the game when he decided to let it fly, and I'd say it worked out. And Lavelle only went in that route because it was a move of desperation. He felt he was on the path of being fired. So he had to try something different. He had to do something completely different, but seemingly obvious in order to change his destiny and compete. I would argue that BYU finds itself at another crossroads of desperation within this ridiculous sport and its stupid structure. The Cougars are on the outside. They are not in the party of the Power Five conferences. And the Cougars are on an assured path unless they do something totally different but seemingly obvious. The Cougars are in no man's land. So why not? It's bold. It's audacious. It's right there. And I think in a lot of ways it's the right thing to do by the players. And maybe it could level the playing field in a situation where the entire sport is rigged in and of itself. Okay, I wanted to talk about one other kind of big picture BYU football issue. And it's one we're all too familiar with, but uh, BYU can't beat Utah. They can't seem to get a win over Utah. Last time we did it was 2009. Andrew George caught the touchdown and uh, ran it into the end zone. It was great. Um, And it was a tremendous, tremendous moment, obviously, in the history of the program. Exciting play, overtime win, it was awesome. Now, since that game, obviously, BYU has not beat Utah. I think they've lost seven times in a row now, and it has not been very fun. And outside of the Cougars standing on the wrong side of the competitive structure of college football... The most defining thing about BYU football is the fact that they can't beat their rivals. It's the fact that they can't seem to pick up a victory over the University of Utah. And whatever you think the goals of the university should be with their football team, their on-field goals begin and end with beating Utah. If they want to finish in the top 25, they're going to have to be good enough to beat Utah. If they're looking to have a 10-year, 10-win season, they got to have a team that's good enough to beat Utah. And if they want to win their own state, right? So the, the thing is, is literally the entire point of everything that they're competing for on the field is undone if they're unable to beat Utah. And the fact of the matter is, is it's 2018, and we're almost staring at a full decade without a victory over the University of Utah. Yeah, they didn't show up one year for a game, and we got them in a bowl game the other year that they canceled with us. But the point is, is that when we've played, 
we haven't been good enough to beat Utah, or we haven't made enough plays to beat Utah. And I'm not sure that I have felt a full and complete premium be placed on the idea of beating Utah as one of the absolute must-happen goals of the program. It's hard to beat them. They're a tough team. They're very good. But every other goal that the Cougars have cannot be reached. Cannot be reached until you beat Utah. And if you continue to lose to Utah, the relevance of the program, the importance of its ability to grow competitively, to grow just in, in general, and to continue to you know, hold its place within the state, it relies on winning that game. And I believe we are beginning to see the actual manifestation of losing to that team begin to kind of roll over and just hurt over and over again as it relates to this program. And so, I would like to pitch that of all the things that are going to happen during the 2018 season, the most important thing that the Cougars could accomplish this year is beating Utah. This team certainly doesn't look to be poised to have an undefeated season. And now the bar has been set lower so that it's just make a bowl game. And I suppose that that would be a slight improvement. I'm choosing to look at last year as an aberration rather than the realities of just where BYU has ended up. I think that last year they had a a ton of injuries. I think that they had poor coaching. And the point is, I believe that the Cougars are going to be a good team, a decent team who had a bad year last year. And it happens from time to time to most every school. And the fact that it hardly happens at BYU speaks to what that program is. But I'm telling you that if they continue to wallow in the four or five win region year after year after year, that to me is a product of our inability to beat the University of Utah. And so I believe that the most important goal, not just because it'll make you feel better when you go in, you work with your Utah friends and coworkers, um, throw all those things aside. Any aspirations you have for high achievement as a program cannot be reached until you start beating Utah. And so, stop worrying about 10-win victory season. Stop worrying about going and, and, and you know, maybe threatening for a New Year's Six Bowl. Stop with all of those aspirations and start beating Utah. And until that happens, until you start to beat Utah, you're not going to get any further and carry the program any further. The entire thing rests with winning that game. It's that important. And if you continue to lose it, you will continue to see the diminishing of the 
relevancy and importance that Brigham Young University will carry in the sport of college football going forward. Because it's slowly being eroded away at. And it will continue if you cannot beat the University of Utah. In aviation, there's this idea. They say that a plane crash begins three or four days before. The idea being that little things that happen before cause the accident later. And obviously the 2017 BYU football season was a series of absolute crazy plane crashes. So why are things going to be different this year? How would the Cougars improve and change their destiny so that it's not more of the same this coming season? Well, they decided to make some significant changes. Obviously, you're aware that Ty Detmer was fired and all of the offensive coaching staff, except for Steve Clark, the tight ends coach. In their place is Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes comes to us from LSU. He had stints at Auburn and Virginia Tech. He is somebody that has been coaching football since 1993 onward. That's more experience than the entire coaching staff for BYU last year had combined, okay? Then you have Aaron Roderick. He's coming in to be the passing game coordinator, and he's coaching the quarterbacks up. Roderick, of course, has been at Utah and, you know, tried to leave several times, but then didn't. I don't know. He, he's he got that part of his uh, history, but he did play at BYU as a wide receiver, and he'll be in charge of the passing game. So, Again, super experienced. He was at Utah for all those years and has been involved in coaching since 1999. Then you've got Fessy Satake. Fessy Satake was a coach at that awesome Weber State team last year. He was the offensive coordinator and really was uh, effective up there with what they did at Weber. It was really innovative, and if he has a voice in it, there will be a lot of RPO, which, of course, is the trend in college football anyway. But what Satake did, Fessy Satake, what he did up at Weber State was really, really innovative and with the times. And that's a big reason why Weber State was able to really move things forward. So it'll be interesting to see his influence with kind of Aaron Roderick's influence of kind of uh, uh, the spread with Jeff Grimes's hard nose LSU, SEC, big man run game football. So I I don't know what the fusion of all those things will be. Ryan Pugh is the new offensive line coach. And from what I've seen, the all-line, you know, in in short time, there's been little things that I've noticed that I've been really pleased with. Things like hand placement and where they're trying to put their leverage up and through the defensive player. Um, I think that those things, little subtleties and little details have been worked on and looked at and I saw improvement in terms of some of those techniques. And so that's um, that's exciting. And I think that one of the things that you'll see is that the offensive line will be a little bit better this year, which is kind of crazy when you think about it because there's going to be a true there's going to be a freshman, not a true freshman. He's back from his mission. But 
uh, starting at left tackle. And of course, we've got a return missionary at center. So uh, with their first snaps in a while. So it'll be interesting. But I do believe in Ryan Pugh. And I think that he's going to be uh, putting together some nice things. And of course, AJ Stewart. And I think that uh, he's the running back coach. And I think that he uh, is going to be instrumental in trying to create more of an attacking mindset out of these running backs to go and finish runs. And so um, if you want to believe that things are going to really improve for BYU this next year, you'd have to believe the following things. One, you'd have to believe that the issues of coaching were solely on the offensive side that it wasn't on Elisa Tuiaki, and it wasn't with Kalane Satake. And all these things are always in flux. You know, it's the working theory is, is that it was the offense, that it was purely the fact that Ty Detmer and his staff didn't have answers to generate points. The Cougars were absolutely rotten uh, at passing. They were absolutely rotten at running the football. And... Um, it was just basically because of the offense, we weren't able to make a real evaluation of the quality of the defense because the defense was on the field so much. So, you know, you can't really make a judgment. And that was the excuse that was given by Kalani Satake as he would go to bat for Elisa Tuiaki and allow Ty Detmer to take a lot of the heat. <clears throat> and Ty deserved some heat. I mean, let's not forget the Cougars had a stretch there where they had 14 straight games under Ty Detmer with Taysom Hill, Bo Hodge, and Tanner Mangum at quarterback. 14 straight games where they failed to reach 200 yards passing. The only team that had a longer streak at the time was Army, and they don't pass. They had games where they didn't attempt to pass. But among teams that attempted at least 20 pass attempts a game during that stretch, the longest stretch that I could find was eight games. For any team that does passing with high frequency, with at least 20 attempts, eight games without reaching 200 yards was the longest I could find at any other school. Cougars, 14 games. 14 games. Ty Detmer himself only had seven games when he was a player where they couldn't reach 200 yards. And sure, Ty Detmer was a great passer. But I got to say, so much of that has to do with system. So, so, so much of that has to do with system. It just has to. I, I just fail to believe that all of the wide receivers are worse than anyone that we've ever had at at our school, and then worse at what than what we've seen at any other passing school in all of Division One football. I I just fail to believe that Taysom Hill and Tanner Mangum and Bo Hodge are just worse than all of as a as a combination of that fourteen game streak, just worse than a combination of of every other Division One school and their quarterbacks and who they were throwing to. I just. That, that's one that I just am not going to believe. BYU has been too good and too stable and, and just generally has had 
players for way too long for me to believe that just we really, really have the cupboards being that bare. It was system. Had to be. It's the only thing that makes sense. So, Ty Detmer out the door. And if you believe that the Cougars are going to have a turnaround season, are going to flirt with six or seven wins, maybe eight or even nine, if you are on that island, you must believe that the Ty Detmer offense was not good and it was not going to work. And it was the sole basis of the problem. And you also must believe that Jeff Grimes and Aaron Roderick and Fessy Satake and, you know, A.J. Seward and and everybody else, okay, that they brought in have the answers, have a way to leverage the talents of what the players can do and be able to take what they can do and make, you know, points on the scoreboard. And so it's it's really important that that, to me, is the one way that BYU really improves this year. Defensively, we're not going to be much better. In fact, I think you could argue we're going to be worse. I don't see how you just replace Fred Warner. It's always next man up, sure. And Kyrus Tonga is a beast at defensive tackle. He actually plays nose, but like... Kyrus Tonga is my favorite guy on the defense. He's absolutely a monster on that defensive line. And by the way, he'll be playing against a bunch of inexperienced Division I uh, offensive linemen for the Arizona Wildcats. There's a real chance for him to do his job up the middle. Kyrus Tonga, I expect him to have another big year. He had a big year as a freshman last year. You know, one of the things that has bothered me about Elisa Tuiaki's defense is I just feel like we aren't generating enough pressure on quarterbacks. But I wouldn't really worry about that for the Arizona game. You see, against Arizona, the way that you're going to get burned against Arizona is if you allow Khalil Tate, they're all-everything quarterback. Okay? If, if he's an unbelievable athlete, if you allow Khalil Tate to do his thing, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And one of the ways that you can get in trouble against Khalil Tate is to not maintain quarterback com- contain. It, 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 that's your number one job as a rusher. Is you got to make sure you keep quarterback contained so they don't get loose and run, and especially against Khalil Tate. And honestly, that is the number one thing that is going to be, you know, really telling about what the Cougars do in this game. I, I really worry about what they're going to be able to do on the defensive line. Corbin Kafusi, A, he has more memorable plays on the basketball floor than he does on the football field at this point. His memorable football plays are on special teams. But he did get us the win over number one Gonzaga. He had the he had the game ceiling bucket, and I will never ever ever forget that. Thank you, Corbin. But the thing I worry most with Corbin Kafusi is quarterback containment. 
he likes to get around and he really goes wide and if he does find a way to shed that tackle and get by his blocker you know he does a whole lot of like kind of it's like he gets too anxious too excited he goes after the quarterback in a really aggressive way and he can use his long body sometimes to cause some problems there but frankly he doesn't finish the rush particularly good and the reason is is because lanes open up usually his rushes require him to really make a huge move really change his positioning on the field and really circle around yards and yards to finally make his way to the quarterback that's why he hasn't had that many sacks frankly but it also has opened up a ton of lanes for running backs or quarterbacks to go up and attack and he's our good defensive end And we've had Fred Warner to clean up behind him. So I, I frankly am worried about that. I also worry about this with Kairos Tonga. A little bit, not nearly as much. You know, he plays that nose spot and in this in you know, Tuiaki and Sataki's four three, they use that spot where where Tonga is, and they allow him to really get aggressive and rush up the middle, try to collapse the pocket. I I like it. I like it. But what can also happen with that, and generally it's 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 something that, you know, wasn't a massive deal as it related to uh, our man Kairos Tonga, but he, he really needed to, he's really going to have to generate pressure while also making sure that he's not setting up tape to just run through, get to the second level, juke a, a, a linebacker, and uh-oh, now we've got problems because... We've got safeties and cornerbacks trying to stop the freight train. So that containment and, and getting to the quarterback is actually less important. And I don't know that we're going to get as many sacks, although it will be important. You will get more sacks as you do more quarterback contained to Khalil Tate. So it, it's this unique problem. If you can be disciplined, if you can contain, if you can keep them in the pocket, you're going to get a lot more sacks. Khalil Tate, in my mind, is, is uh, I think he's a little bit more gifted than Taysom Hill was, but he's of the Taysom Hill style. Defensively, you're not going to have to do something unbelievable here. Shaky offensive line for Arizona. Then you've got the Cougars. And, and what they've got to do is take away the run. If Khalil Tate can pass, if, if he can step back, you know, take the snap from the shotgun, take three-step drop, and, sh- and pass, and get downfield, we're done. The game's going to be over. If Khalil Tate gets over eight yards per attempt passing the football, Cougars are buried. They are buried. Because if they're not defending the pass, right? If, if Khalil Tate can pass, we're, it's over. It's the same problem we, when we had Taysom. If he could pass, we had a really good chance of winning. But, you know, it was a coin flip. It was probably less than a coin flip, frankly. But that is the issue there defensively to keep points off the board quarterback contain okay 
keep the run from going. They're going to use middle linebackers. They're going to use Zane Anderson to, to spy and keep all over Khalil Tate. It's about controlling that player and not letting them run and run and run and run. If Khalil Tate can pass, Cougars are going to lose. So we're going to challenge them to pass. We're going to uh, really look to Chris Wilcox uh, and the entire secondary to do their job one-on-one. And, and, and even the safeties are going to have to cheat up and stop the run a little bit from time to time. But if, if again... If he can, if he has any sort of touch, if he has any sort of ability to get some downfield receivers, Cougars are going to have a long day in Tucson on Saturday. The key for the Y offensively, the first thing that I have to see is that we have to be able to run. If you can't establish some sort of run, you're going to have a long day. Have to be able to run a little bit. Okay? Now, we've got... Katoa, and we've got Squally Canada. And what I've seen of Squally during his time is that he's had a couple of huge games um, against UNLV. Obviously, he had that game where he ran for like over 250 yards last year. I, I, it's like out of nowhere. <laughs> but every other time we've seen Squally, he's had this thing where he's been able to gain a few yards. And then he kind of he goes down pretty easy. So one one of the things that w- we know about him is he can't go outside the tackles. He's somebody that's got to run up the gut. And so if if you're playing a a good front, if they've got seven or eight Cougars, probably aren't going to make much ground with Squally Canada. Then again, if the blocking schemes are airtight and we've got you know an O line that's opening things up, who knows. I don't see him as a particularly patient back. I don't see him as somebody that is a, a big playmaker. He is of the service, you know, variety of running backs. Think more JJ D. Luigi. Think less Jamal Williams or Curtis Brown. D. Luigi had a pretty nice year. So the the point is, is is that's kind of what you got with Squally. Zach Katoa, we haven't seen other than in the spring game, we got to see him run a lot. And it looked a lot like the same thing that you get with Squally. He tried to bounce to the outside a few times when things were stuffed up the middle and they ended up losing yards every time. Uh, I, I don't really see Katoa as a outside the tackles running back either. He's kind of a one cut guy, at least from the limited exposure I've seen of him. One cut, he puts his foot down in the ground, he runs up and he goes. So I don't really see a huge amount of dynamic um, running. However, we have to have the ability to, run for over, you know, three and a half yards a carry. And there were several, several games last year where we just had no prayer at that. And then it turned into, you know, whoever the healthy quarterback was at the time trying to run a West Coast timing-based, precise, precision-passing scheme that just simply they weren't ready for, that they were overmatched for, and that they didn't have the receivers to do and they didn't have the quarterbacks to do. And so when you can't run, all you're left to do is then try to pass. 
And unfortunately, they had a scheme which was very complicated, required great precision, and purposefully tried to expose, you know, taking advantage of tight windows, little windows underneath. And if you get it just right, and the and the ball's right on the pads, and the ball's caught, and then the footwork's just right, you might be able to squeeze open a few yards after catch. I just don't really remember the Cougars doing a whole lot of, oh, the catch was made, the guy had space, and now he's run for 20 yards after the reception. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of yak last year. Again, we don't know totally what that offense is going to look like for BYU, but I know this. If you can't run, if you can't run at all, then it becomes a whole lot easier to defend the pass. And if you can't pass, it becomes a whole lot easier to defend the run. And... I feel like the Cougars got a better chance at passing this year than they're going to have at running, which was exactly what they ran into last year. So unless they've really fixed some things with some of the run schemes, um, unless Squally has gotten better, unless Zach Katoa ready to step it up and and be great, um, I, I see some problems on the offensive side of the ball. The fortunate news is is that the passing attack should be more accessible to the skill sets and talents of the players that are on our roster. It becomes about what they can do rather than what they cannot do. And it becomes more about setting up plays to try to suit the players. And that's what the rhetoric is from camp. Setting up plays that are suitable for the players rather than setting up plays that are suitable for the play caller. So, I think there's a real chance that the offense should look a little bit better. I am still on Tanner Mangum Island. I believe he was hurt last year. I think he was running an offense he wasn't equipped to to really handle. I know that his skill set, we know this much. We know that he's not a great timing and precision route passer. That, That wasn't his jam. What we do know about him is he's good at playground football. We know that he's good in the gun. We know that he's pretty good at throwing downfield and taking chances and trusting his receivers. We know that the more spread open it'll be, the better it'll be for him. We know that he enjoys throwing downfield. He likes the 10 to 15 yard routes. That That middle passing game is really... That's what great teams can do. If they can throw middle passing routes, if they if they can attack from like the 10 to 20 yard line and, and catch in that little section of the field, you know, where they, they throw right over the top of linebackers and just before safeties and as they squeeze it into that area, if you can attack that area, you're a really good passing team. Most teams can either throw and most teams can throw short then better passing teams can throw downfield. And then the last thing is, is if you can throw those intermediate routes, you're, you're going to really be in good shape. Well, what we've seen from Tanner Mangum as a freshman is he can throw downfield and he can throw short. Last year, the system had him throw short a ton. And he did okay. But it didn't result in anything. He rarely took shots downfield. And uh, frankly, I'm not sure how healthy he was. So I'm a, still a believer <laughs> I don't know if uh, if he'll be the starter by the end of the year. I'm rooting for him, and I think that he'll do a good job. I think that this offense should be better. I think that people will be practical in the way that they structure things, and if they can do that, then the Cougars will have a chance to score points on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the guy to watch out for, 
on Arizona. I like their defensive back. I like Tony Weeks Jr. Tony Weeks is senior. Tony Weeks Sr. is a uh, an alum of Brigham Young University. His son is now playing for the Arizona Wildcats. But uh, it's a really good player. And he's going to be able to take away uh, a lot of what the Cougars do. He, I think what you're going to see with Weeks is Tony Weeks Jr. will be lined up kind of as the nickel defensive back. And I think that they'll have him you know, try to uh, defend and take on Matt Bushman whenever he lines up without his hand in the ground. And my guess is, and again, if I was structuring things, is I wouldn't have Matt Bushman put his hand in the ground. He's an okay blocker. Eh, he's okay. He's a good route runner and he's a good catch. He can make some catches. So I hope we'll see him kind of sit on the outside. And I hope they use him like Gronkowski, which of course is the gold standard of, of tight end play, of course. But like he should be, it should be like Dennis Pitta, what they did with him. He should be in the slot. He should be running out in that space. On the receiving core, we're just, we're still waiting for a playmaker. I'll be, uh, I mean, I guess it sounds like it would be Michael, Micah Simon. He's a team captain. Maybe it'll be Dylan Colley. Um, I'd be shocked if it was um, Aleva Hifo. Um, but I, I, I got to tell you that I think that the, the, the Cougars wide receivers should be able to make a few more plays because I think the system will allow them the opportunity to go get the ball. Uh, of course, we, we don't know. We'll know a lot more after the Arizona game. Okay, last thing that we, we should talk about, I think special teams got better. Um, I think that there's a chance that the, the special teams um, scenario for the Cougars is, is better than it's been in a couple years. Um, so Red Almond has been our place kicker uh, for a couple years, and... He was fine. I don't know. He was fine. He wasn't as good as um, as some people have said. Uh, I'm looking at Blaine Fowler on BYU TV, who said that he was automatic from 35 in during the spring game of the, uh, I believe, the 20, uh, 2017 season. But anyway, uh, my my feeling is 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 Red Almond was brought in to be a punter, and he's finally going to get to punt. I've thought that um, he he isn't as athletic as Linehan, so he doesn't give you as many options for you know special teams like trick plays or whatever. By the way, I mean Johnny Linehan, we never got a good special teams play from him. They they all ended up being a disaster. So you know that was pretty hyped up. That never that never really worked out. But Red Alban's good. He's good punter. He, he does a good job. He puts it nice and high. Uh, he doesn't kick it as far as Linehan can. But one of the things that he does do is, is he, he makes it so that basically he's going to force a lot of fair catches. And I think that will really help uh, with, with some of the work that needs to be done to control field position. Because, you know, look, BYU is in the first early weeks of the season against some of the top teams that they're going to play. They the margin for error for them is pretty pretty slim. Things like field position and punting are going to be enormous. Also enormous, kicking the football. 
Skylar Southam is finally here. There's been a lot of hype around him, and he puts out a lot of videos on his Twitter showing off the leg. And uh, there's a lot of hope that he'll be able to kick uh, footballs from a long way. The last time we had a guy that this was that was this hyped ended up being Justin Sorensen, and you know he was okay. Um, my hope is that Ju- Skylar Southam will be pretty solid in his first year playing Division One football, and. You know, kickers usually score the most points. It's important to have a good kicker. Finally, we have a kicker that was brought into the school to be a kicker and not brought in to be a punter. So <laughs> that's uh, that means that things are going to be a little bit better there. So I, I feel pretty optimistic, actually, against about special teams when it comes to the kicking aspects. In terms of returns, Michael Shelton, uh, Aleva Hifo are returning uh, kickoffs and punts. We'll see. I uh, haven't seen anything that exciting from anybody there. They also have Matt Hadley back on the kickoff return. He'll be there as like a lead block. Uh, so I don't really expect a lot in terms of, you know, how much, how many yards they're going to make returning the football. I, I just don't really see that. But uh, be solid. Don't turn it over. And, uh, you know, make fair catches and go and get them. Uh, don't let the football bounce and bounce and bounce. I hate that uh, when you're fielding punts. So <clears throat> makes sense in some situations, uh, but you know, almost always you should try to go and run and get that. And um, and so anyway, so I, I do think special teams might be better because uh, yeah, maybe a little worse at punter. Although I do think that I do think that Almond's punts will be fine. I do think that Southam should be an upgrade over Red Almond's place kicking. And so that's exciting. Okay, so that's all three units of the team. I I think they're all going to have to show up. Most important unit is going to be defensive line. How defensive line performs against kind of a weak offensive line or at least inexperienced offensive line for Arizona. And if they can be smart out there, because yes, they might blow up those inexperienced Arizona offensive linemen, but if they don't keep contained, I'm telling you, we are going to have an extremely long, long, long day. And if if he's running like that, you can't you can't let people do what they're best at. Like the whole point of sports, and and you all know this, but the whole point of sports is that you have to take away what the other team does well. Have to. And in this game, the Cougars may be most strengthened at that defensive line spot. It's possible. But they could take it away by forcing them to get over-aggressive and then opening up lanes, and the next thing you know, you know, if if they can make a blocker or two on a linebacker, Khalil Tate is off. And you're in trouble. You got to make him do something that he's not comfortable doing. You got to make him, force him to take quick throws, tackle really well, try to keep the ball short on passes, and take away the run. If you're taking away those strengths from him, you've got a great chance. You got a great chance. If he's able, and, and frankly, if you can take away those things and do all those things, it's a great game plan. If he can start passing on you, well, then you know what? God bless him. You're you're gonna lose. That that's it to me. That's those are the two things. Take away, take away Tate by 
doing quarterback contain. You'll get him more, and you're going to keep him in the in the pocket, and you're going to be able to get more sacks, and you're going to get tackles for losses, and he's not going to run and run and run all over. And then you got a chance that he's going to feel uncomfortable in the pocket passing. And so th- there's a lot of strength there. So that defensive line, that's the key unit for this game against Arizona. If they're successful, Cougars have a great chance to be successful there. Offensively, we'll find out. Let's watch that together. Oh, but the season is here, and uh, I look forward to uh, covering it more. Okay, so the season premiere of CougarCast is in the books. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, I'm so glad to be back with you. Now, look, that was a lot of me. I know. It was a lot of me. If you made it to the end, I know... I know that you like this show. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, You're my kind of person, I'm sure. Uh, We should get to know each other a little bit. So here's what we're doing. One of the things that I'd like to do with this show to make it better as we go forward is I want to involve you, the listener. So here's what you need to do. If you disagree, if you agree, once the game is over, I want your takes, okay? Get out your phone, record a voice memo, and then send it to cougarcast at gmail.com. Take that voice memo, send it to us, cougarcast at gmail.com, and we'll be able to take some of your takes, put them out there for other people to hear, for the for, for all those people out who come to vinegarsofo.com. Your words, your takes will be out there for people to listen to. So send those to me with the voice memo at cougarcast at gmail.com. Of course, I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet a ton, but uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, that is at CougarCast as well. And of course, check out VanquishTheFoe.com. Hey, thank you very much to our sponsors for this episode. CareerWise, CareerWise, you can go check out CareerWise with a Z, W-I-Z-E, right? Career, W-I-Z-E.com. If you know anybody that is looking for a job to work from home in an exciting growing field like healthcare, they should give a look at CareerWise and try out that online medical coding education program. That's it for this week's CougarCast. We will see you after this game on Saturday against the Arizona Wildcats. Go Cougars! It's going to be intriguing to see what the team looks like this year.